Hi, welcome to Rule of Carnage. We're a couple of games designers um, yeah, who who are gonna yeah talk about games design, uh, the process, maybe give some helpful ideas and hints for working for your own game designs. My name's Glenn Ford. I'm talking uh, as usual with Mike Hutchinson. Hello. Um, now, today, we're going to delve into a subject that's possibly slightly meta for the Rule of Carnage podcast, and that's to talk about the Rule of Carnage. So, for those who aren't aware, Rule of Carnage is an actual rule in Gaslands, rather than just being the name of your new favourite YouTube channel. Mike, do you want to read out what literally Rule of Carnage is for us from, from the book that you've got there? Yeah, so uh, the Rule of Carnage says, In Gaslands... If a rule is unclear, choose whichever option results in the most carnage for all concerned. This is the rule of carnage. So uh, so today we're going to talk generally in a minute about the idea of catch-all rules, the rules that you put in to cover edge cases and unusual situations, talk about why they're useful, why you should have them, why they're not just a shortcut for holes in the design. And we'll talk a little bit about the origin of the rule of carnage and um, hopefully we'll maybe talk about how that's part of the design philosophy that there are you know no bad ideas and everything's worth looking at and uh and talking over and hopefully that'll be the first half hour and then in the in the last half hour we'll talk a bit about rules as written versus house rules where a designer's ownership of a rule starts and ends and when the community steps in and how those sorts of catch-all rules interact with that but to start with we thought we we might sort of talk a little bit about or reminisce a little bit about literally where rule of carnage came from in the writing process of Gaslands, when it turned up, because I think we, we we were just chatting about, it, and I think we have slightly different memories of when it came in. Well, so I, I yeah, I didn't really it. have a clear memory of when it came in, so I've just checked the archives. Uh, mm. I can see that the first copy of the playtest manuscript that has it in is version six point which was from February two thousand and seventeen. Mm. So to contextualise that, the very first version of the game. Um, was September 2015, that's version one. So it went through the first 18 months of its development process without a thing in the rule book called the rule of carnage, mm. uh, which sort of isn't how Glenn remembers it. Well, I mean, what, what I find particularly interesting is you were also saying that the the handed in the, the version that got handed over was quite close to... was. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't got the exact date to hand, but I think February 2017 feels about when I was supposed to hand it in um, now to as it got to, published that year in this in the winter yeah now to, to my memory rule of carnage was something that was there in every game of gaslands that I ever that I ever played like from the earliest playtesting it was the way it was stated that you resolved disputes rather than I you know I don't remember a point where it was ever the traditional roll a d6 you know roll off or or assign a a, a choice to a different part of a d6 and and essentially flip a coin I seem to remember very early what on it was you know whatever causes things to blow up was the thing that's always chosen and my, I suppose my question is, was the, it, and, I, and the, the, these are just memories, is the, was the idea that in the moment you wanted it to be, okay, whichever version makes things blow up is the version that I will entrench in the rules at a later point? Or was that, or was it just always the solution? And then we just said, hey, let's just write that down and stick it in the rules. I think there's two things here. I'm going to, I'm going to just summon something up. I'm going to summon something up to look at. So 
really early on, I wrote down, so this is October 2015. So this is, this is you know, ver version one dot something of the rules. I wrote down my design principles. And here I find something which I think, I mean, there are two principles that make sense here, never sacrifice fun on the ultra realism, which sort of fits. But I think this is really the origin of the rule of carnage. Mm. If we have a problem to resolve or there's two ways of doing something, if one amuses us more, let's go for that one because that will ultimately cause a more enjoyable experience. But I also wonder whether it's simply an expression of the fact that I was excited and enthusiastic about the game. And so when I was trying to put it on the table and get people to enjoy the game so that they would give me you know, signals about what they were enjoying, then I suspect that that sort of whatever let, let's just make everything explode and it's funny and like if i'm going to be put in a position of disadvantage by that i'd rather something be happening than than not something be happening and i think there, there's another principle we just saw there which is replace moments of nothingness with moments of somethingness and the rule of carnage sort of says given the possibility that something can happen or nothing can happen let's just always have something happen rather than rolling a dice and half of the time the dice says ah, let's just have a boring time rather than an exciting explodey time but i think it's also an expression of the fact that i'm very excited by things that explode and crash into each other and that is poured deeply into the soul of gaslands so i don't know i think it might be it feels in my memory it feels like a a distillation of something that i suspect you came up with you might have systematized it into that rule by saying i don't remember whether there was ever a moment where there was a i realized that you needed the in event of the rules not making sense dice off or whether because that doesn't seem like a that doesn't seem like a thing i'd bother putting in and that seems like a thing that you'd bother noting wasn't there because you'd be like right there's a ton of edge cases about to emerge when you publish this game don't give the player's zero way of exiting edge edge cases. You've got to have something. And then perhaps we caught on the fact that we already sort of knew what the answer was, which is explode, explode. I think, I, I mean, I think a lot of the time, one of the things I end up doing is saying, okay, well, we're doing this anyway. Let's do that. Let's do, let's do this. Do you know what I mean? If, mm. if, we're, if we're always solving the problem by, by this solution, why is that not the solution? And I think that's one, th one of the things with, with Rule of Carnage is, like you say, that's how the arguments always got resolved. And so let's make that how arguments always get resolved. If the game is better when you do that, just do that. I think the, the thing about something like the Rule of Carnage, like for one of these catch-all rules is, however tight the rule system is for, for this sort of analog game, whether or not you have zero edge cases in your rules and you will have some edge cases in your rules, you're always going to have arguments over measurements. You're, you're always going to have arguments over whether something's within a distance or if something is 24 inches away from something else, is it within 24 inches of something else? Is it is an eternal sort of, okay, well, you set up 24 inches away, so therefore you're in range. No, I set up 24 inches away, therefore I'm out of range. Is is a, is a sort of is an eternal conversation and i think the thing is the thing about rule of carnage that's so great is that it means that if somebody asks whether something is in in range if, if they're not sure of what the answer is it tells them what the answer is if you're genuinely in your heart of hearts not sure what the answer to the question you're asking is rule of carnage just says well there we there we go if you've asked the question we've it's given you the answer going on to to why that kind of rule is a good idea is you might think you can write your way out of edge cases and you might think you can write a, a perfect set of rules you know from experience you probably can't 
But even if you can write a perfect set of rules, you can't write a perfect set of measurements and you can't write a set of players who will never clog the game up by arguing over an interpretation or, or, or a set of measurements. And that's the thing about Rule of Carnage that's brilliant is, again, it very quickly solves those kind of discussions around the tabletop. It keeps the game fun and rolling. And it means even if you didn't read the rules, it doesn't matter if you look at that and one thing is the more explodey fun thing then the rule that's the one rule you really need to remember there's, and there's, two, there's two other things about it that I, I sort of want to get into as well one is one is the fact that it, it ends up being a very clear statement of intent which ends up mm. working really well in communicating what the purpose of the game experience should be and then that has a not a dark side but a sort of a strange shadow that follows it around in that it's such a powerful statement of intent that it is sometimes used um in vain uh, mm. in places where it doesn't really need to be invoked because the rules are absolutely clear you just haven't understood them mm. and so that's an interesting that's an interesting chain reaction where by having a rule of carnage to put in by having that that phrasing of the rule of carnage really early on in the rule book it's it just runs a little flag up the pole to the person who's reading the rule book and says this is going to be an explodey silly game where if stuff can happen it's gonna happen and so read the rest of the rules with that in your heart mm. and i think that then colors people's initial experience of the game because then they can dive into it with a sort of wild and chaotic and laissez-faire sort of attitude which really really suits the the play experience and all of the rules mm. when treated with that through that lens do do support it but it's interesting because that is something that you will find often in rule sets i recall in in her her Majesty's name has quite an infamous mm. section at the beginning of the game, which do, does a very similar thing, which it sort of says, you know, we are we are noble folks engaging in a genteel game. We all behave and purport in, in the manner accustomed that we're accustomed to. And because it's a game about being a slightly toffee-nosed Victorian adventurer, like it, it communicates both the theme of the game and what you're supposed to how you're supposed to engage with the game experience in order to play mm. it in the spirit of which it's intended. And I think that that's, that's more powerful than just saying at the beginning of the game, sort of saying, hey, this is a game. If you run into problems, like just be cool about it, because ultimately mm. that doesn't really help you. That mm. just says when you encounter someone who is being a pain about the game, that's you probably should just play with someone else. And that isn't necessarily mm. super useful at yeah. the table. Yeah, and I and I and I think that's that is a very relevant thing to sort of to to talk about here is that I think that there's there's a difference between how one of these catch-all rules works in a way that makes the game more effective and, and run more quickly and, and actually helps make rules clearer, and one of these catch-all rules that you, you do see sometimes that I think sort of absolves the designer of of writing clear rules where you you do well, i mean you do you do no, no, was, I'm, I'm, chuck I'm chuckling because that is a thing that you see in a lot of skirmish rule sets and i think mm. the thing that glenn and i are absolutely aligned on is that we we believe and this is entirely our opinion that it is a failure of the games designer if you leave a gaping hole that you can drive a truck through that says mm. you know if you don't like the rules just make it up yeah and then you don't provide the rules sufficiently to actually close that hole up yeah because I, I yeah ultimately there there are rule sets that say something on the lines of the point of the game is to have fun if you're arguing over the rules you're not having fun so therefore if you argue over the rules you're not playing the game right and that's your fault not mine 
and you should you should therefore just stop arguing over the rules what are you doing you're playing the game wrong and it is it's like well if i honestly don't know what the rules are and i honestly don't know what the answer is i'm not people by and large and there are exceptions people by and large don't sit around rule arguing over rules because they love the joy of arguing over rules you know they they tend to argue over rules because they honestly want to know what the answer is they're yeah, like they're okay. trying to play the game in good faith they're trying to understand what the system mm-hmm. is telling them the game wants them to do because they're playing this game because they're trying to get some kind of game experience out of it mm-hmm. and if the game experience takes you 80 percent of the way and then leaves you hanging and you have to invent the remaining 20%, you can, if you're a certain kind of player, and I certainly am one, you can end up feeling, rather than free, you can feel a little bit cheated. Um, And also, yeah, I mean, also, personally, when I'm playing a game, I often don't mind what, you know, be like, okay, can I do this? And I don't care whether you say I can or whether I can't, because if I can't, I'll pick another tactic, and I'll pick Mm. another strategy, and I'll find no way around it. But I need to know whether I can or whether I can't. I need to know whether you can or you can't. I often don't mind what the answer is, but I do need an answer. Mm. And I think that's one of one of the things, again, that's interesting about the rule of carnage and, and going through and designing Gaslands. I think a lot of the times questions came up, and there were lots of questions I came to you with over the development process, where I sort of said, okay, this needs to either be this or that. It doesn't really matter which of these two things it is. It's There's not an answer that's better or worse, but we need to we need to say it's this or it's that. We need to just sort of make a choice at various points. And I think having one of these rules that actually makes the choice for people actually tells them it, it's okay, this is how it's meant to be, versus something that basically says, you, you sort it out for yourself. I'm not going to sort of fix the problem for you. I think, it, I think it's actually a very significant thing. And I think it's a thing that, that needs to be tracked intelligently. When I've listened, and I have in the past listened to a number of discussions about, sometimes this is framed as loosey-goosey gaming versus rules as written or crunchy gaming, um, which, which is, I think, a fine way of sort of distilling the essence here. But I suppose another another way of saying it might be, are we demanding a situation in which adversarial gaming is permitted versus collaborative gaming so in a system that says if you find a problem with the rules just agree what to do with your opponent and move on that sort of doesn't work in an adversarial situation and so is it that we feel that if you provide enough scaffolding that the adversarial situation can function then the friendly situation can obviously function already your friends you'll agree at the table and so is it maybe the gap between Yes, we can all say just make it up, but if we find a way to make adversarial situations work, we've covered both scenarios and therefore that's that's better game design. I, d- I don't know. I don't know. I mean, personally, I've played those games. I've played plenty of games where everyone around the table is, is a friend and a, and a chum. It, it, everyone's just trying to get a fun experience out of it. Yeah, but and these, even- these are not like, that's not exactly, that's, that's exactly not a yeah, yeah, yeah. independent. It's not like, are we writing a game for people not to have fun with each other? It's- no, absolutely. But but even in those situations, I personally, I don't want to just, you know, sit around and, and stroke chins and go, well, the Hobbit should probably do this, shouldn't he? So that's what will happen. And A, I don't want to decide those things on a case-by-case basis every single time and, and take everything into account. Because And there's not, there is no way nothing wrong with doing that, but it's such a different sort of game. It ends up being... You know, I have played some of those games that end up being like a sort of a political negotiation around the table. It's like sometimes if you if you play a game that's 
you know that that's very GM um, necessary. If you play a skirmish game, like I need a GM at the table, and the idea is that you go to the GM with your with your little written out plan of oh I want to do this and do that, and then I'll do this and I'll do that. It ends up being a game about storytelling to the GM what you're going to do and arguing to him, and whoever argues most persuasively to the GM that their plan is brilliant and will work suddenly wins a skirmish game and that's great like in an rpg and it's great for a certain sort of game but ultimately i want a game that tells me what who who is right even if we're all friends i want a game that says to me it's like i say i can honestly hold a certain opinion and honestly think that that's how a thing should happen and another person can honestly think something completely different and uh, i mean because all right a great version in I, i think about gaslands is the the line on collisions, which is real world physics versus movie physics or or game physics as well. And in in Gaslands, when you collide into somebody, they hit you back with the same force that, that you hit them, which is a real world physics moment in a, in a very cinematic game and which is completely non game physics logical. In, in game physics, if I'm hitting you, I hit you harder than you hit me. And having, you know, having the game say, whatever your personal opinions about what what should happen at this moment in a game, this is what does happen in this game. You know, I want the game to say to me, this is what happens in this game. This is how we do it, you know, because you're not wrong to think something else should happen. You're, you know, and you, and you argue that and it's not like people can go, well, you're definitively wrong. Your opinion is definitively wrong. And I think any game that says argue until you prove that your friend is definitively incorrect about their worldview. I'm not, I, that, that for me is not a friendly, jolly <laughs> sit around a table game. That's a way more cutthroat version of playing. It's like both of us put a worldview and then crush the other person's worldview to show that they're wrong and that they should lose. And that that's right. So that is, I think that is that, just, just editor's note that is not always the natural extension of this situation. But <laughs> if you play with Glenn, then it probably is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I of course, I, I broadly, I broadly agree with that. Which is, um, regardless of whether or not you have friendly and amicable relations at the table, providing a framework to briskly resolve dis- any confusions or disputes without any ill feeling either side is obviously, in our opinion, a good thing. A very good um, thing. So when it came round to putting a similar rule in A Billion Sons, I recall we had a conversation on some long car journey to a, a convention where we were sort of chewing on the idea of whether this was an opportunity to put something, mm. again, quite thematically evocative in. And so A Billion Sons is a game about being overlord of a vast array of spaceships and being the sort of general in the command center and you know being the the ender's game character um controlling virtual spaceships and so it felt like was there if this was a game about like the iron will of a single commanding brain was there a way that you could express that in a rule of carnage equivalent and i think at Mm. at one point the game had a rule that said if there's ever a rules dispute whoever the active uh, ceo which is the, the the name for players in the game whichever the active player is just gets their way and so so the intention being whenever it's my turn and it's going to be my turn about half of the time I get my way and when it's your turn you get your way and that didn't survive to the final uh, version do you want to talk a little bit about <laughs> where we found issues with it um 
all right. The, I mean, the first thing I'll say is, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute, is the thing that's great about Rule of Carnage is that it is a rules as written rule. It's actually not, it looks like a house rule. It looks like a loosey-goosey rule, but it's actually a, you can get into forum debates where people use it as a rule as, rules as written. And that goes, there you go. The answer's in there. The problem, I think, with the first problem, I think, with that more sort of player perspective rule is that, is that ultimately it could never actually be used that way. You could never actually give an objective answer on the basis of it. You could never say, okay, this is what the rules actually... It didn't show you what the rules actually intended in any given well, moment. It, yeah, it, it actually... All, all it did was draw a big black underline un, under what was already happening, which is, I have an opinion which I believe is correct. I obviously believe it correct. That's the opinion I'm opining. And mm. so... It doesn't really help me understand if I'm doing the thing that the game intends, as you say. It just says yeah. whatever you and think is correct is correct is correct. Yeah, and I think also sort of to the spirit of the game is that it, it implied that the game, and I think there was a point where the game was a lot more aggressive than it actually is. Because and there's something you talked before about getting the the combat to work in in a billion suns was was quite a sort of a, a tricky balancing act and i think there was an early version where the the game implied it was it was much more about combat and much more about aggression and it that just didn't turn out to be what a billion suns was i think the spirit of billion suns was really about and i think the thing of the the thing of a rule that said whoever's turn it is whoever is the proactive person gets their way implied a much more aggressive interpretation of the game and an aggressive way of playing the game and always sees the initiative and, and when you've got the initiative don't because there's a spirit of that rule which is aha you might be naughty but then in a minute he'll get to be naughty as well and that's not how anybody looked at that everyone went it, when it's your turn you crush you you, you screw him into the ground yeah. <laughs> the first opportunity because he's going to do it back to you um, and, and honestly honestly in a world about dueling corporations like that oh yeah that was very much what i wanted the game to sort of suggest is that you know you're going to be naughty and uh, and ruthless and so is your opponent and you're both just going to have to deal with the fact that you're incredibly ruthless but of course that isn't really a particularly welcoming like once it was on the page and we were looking at it it's not a very welcoming experience shall i read what we did put in yes absolutely so what finally made it into the billion suns rule book was a rule called don't panic a lot of things can happen in a billion suns Occasionally, the exact interpretation, sequence, or timing of a situation might be unclear. If a rules interaction is ever unclear, the CEOs should agree two sensible interpretations, roll off, and the winner of the roll off decides which interpretation to apply. So there is a system. It's much closer to the loosey-goosey, just, uh, just roll a dice and see what happens. The difference, from my perspective, is the bit where it says CEOs should agree on two sensible interpretations, roll off, and the winner chooses mm. one of them. That That is still a little bit loosey-goosey because it means that you have to, but at least it winnows it down to what are we actually arguing about? Let's just split mm. pairs there and then we'll roll the dice. I think this is this is the thing. I'm I, I'm interested to see how that how that goes and how it pans out and how it works. Because my feeling is that that's a much more standard way of dealing with this kind of it absolutely um, is yeah catch all rule 
for these sorts of games. I, I think that people go, okay, oh yes, I, you won't need to even read that rule. You'll know as soon as you glance at, you'll go, okay, yeah, I know that one. That that's how we do things. Whereas I think that the rule of carnage, in many ways, has been seen as much more of a silly. I always say it's one of the dumbest, smartest rules we ever came up with. Because I think it, it's seen as quite a silly rule. It's seen as a sort of, oh, some, you know, if you come in with a sort of yobbish interpretation of what's going on in that situation, you're somehow correct. Mm. But I think, in, I think in truth, I think that rule of carnage is an obsessive rules examiner's dream in, in a way that, you know, the, the rule for a billion suns is, is great and it'll let the game flow and it'll work brilliantly. But I don't think it's going to sort of, be quite so satisfying for the very obsessive rules lawyer in a weird way because it, the the natural rules lawyers are going to look at it and go oh that's great i don't i don't worry about that that's how i know rule games are meant to be played mm. um so yeah so i'm yeah i'm interested to see how the the rules interpretations on on the various forums uh, are going to go with this. I suppose it's, it's worth addressing the fact that I did consider putting the rule of carnage in verbatim to a billion mm. sons and I stepped away from that simply because I didn't want to signal that that was the way that you engaged with the game because ultimately a billion suns isn't about crashing spaceships into each other and hooting it's about mm. stroking your chin and thinking carefully about exactly where to invest and where to place resources and so I, I never quite found a magic phrase that did the same thing which said you know given two choices the wiser investment is the one that should be chosen <laughs> Yes, yes, I and we and I we I think we did have a, a quite a few conversations on this, and it was sort of there were bits of a billion suns that were a more difficult a more difficult birth than certain bits of Gaslands. Yes, yes, and and I and I think sausage. Yeah, and I think this is one of the the parts of it, and I think there's so much incredibly great about Billion Suns, and I really do think that. And what, but one of the some of the bits that were super tricky were figuring out thing things like that, things about this game does something that's so much about the narrative and the strategy and the, the the physical experience of playing it all at the same time. A, a, a fr- not just a phrase, but a rule that that crunches that all down into two lines just ended up being being sort of unachievable in the way that it was for for gaslands where you could you can almost sort of tell people the rule of carnage for gaslands and you can tell them nothing else about it <laughs> and you've got a you've got a decent idea of of, of what the play experience is going to be um Whereas, yeah, I think a, a, a Billion Suns, for its epicness, never got to that kind of an elevator pitch moment. Mm. Um, it's much more of a sort of, well, what it is, is it's everything. So, you know, <laughs> have fun with that. Um, well, I think that probably that probably covers the, uh, the history and uh, theoretical basis of the rule of carnage. Uh, yes. Uh, we are going to have a conversation now about rules as written versus house rules in the games that we make and the games that we play. Um, and we might also wander off in the direction of edge cases and um, how you go about addressing those kinds of edge cases with the community of players publicly. And there'll be a bit of lamenting later from Glenn about my terrible rules writing. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't go so far as to say terrible rules writing. <laughs> Part of the thing is, and we, we'll, we'll get into this maybe at the end if we've got time, is that um, 
it's been a it's been my job a lot of the time to engage with a lot of the forums because I let I, I lead a more time rich lifestyle than Mike because I invested sensibly and and so I do end up I end up on a certain number of forums also Mike had two small brogglings prior to to me so he he had less time on these things and one thing that's been interesting for me is we had conversations in which I firmly fought a certain position and and strongly strenuously argued for it and Mike made a decision because Mike has to make a decision because that's his job and now I end up arguing Mike's position against my position <laughs> um and and that's that's just that's just part of the that's part of the process now and that's I yeah. think and I'd, I'd love to do some later point in a conversation about what it's like to collaborate and be a leader versus you know a follower on these sorts of things but we'll we'll get into that at some later point so yes rules as written versus versus house rules mm. um, so do you, I mean for for the for the unlikely person who isn't aware of what's meant by that um, rules as written or raw as you you'll often see it in all caps in, in forums is a literal and direct interpretation of exactly what the the minuscule meaning of the words within a rule are uh, and, and you know the, these are the sort of discussions that will come down to the difference between may and can and, mm. and those sorts of things and it's finding out exactly what the rule meant for you to do in that situa- situation or well, not what it um, meant to do but what it is it, what it is legalistically instructing you to to do Yes, and and this and this is always the the dividing line between that and maybe to on the other end of the scale something you might call a house rule, mm-hmm. where somebody will say, okay, the rules as written say that this should happen, but clearly that isn't what should happen. Let's house rule it and let's see. Let's say that in this instance when it occurs, that's what happens. And uh, but one that's come up recently, it's an interesting one on uh, Gaslands forums is when people hit dropped weapons with templates that are inter- interrupted by a collision. Yeah. <laughs> are we going to, we're going to step away from that one. <laughs> no, it's fine. Let's not have uh, a discussion about it. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So th- there's a point where rules as written, say something odd happens. Everybody will end up saying something sensible happens. Mm. And I suppose, yeah, okay. So part of the, this conversation is how do you, how do you, as the games designer, feel about your ownership of the rules in those situations versus where they begin to belong to to the community? Yeah, I mean, for me, the 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 line is really clear for me, which is I think coming from a place where I have always joyously altered games willy-nilly uh, i re- remember i remember when necromunda was re-released by games workshop recently i sort of played a game of it and there was this rule called pin pinning where if you're shot you kind of have to hunker down and then you then you need to roll the dice to, to start moving again and i played a ton of necromunda um when i was a kid and i had never encountered this rule before and john the other core uh, developer on um, gaslands pointed out that yes that's because when we got the copy of necromunda i flipped through the rules and went pinned what's this rubbish we're never playing that <laughs> and we just never did play pin so like th- therein is an interesting situation where by ignoring a rule without knowing what the purpose of that rule was, I inadvertently changed the meaning of that game mm. quite significantly without ever realising it. Because when I returned to Necromunda, I realised that it was a much more cover-hugging, sort of push-me-pull-me push kind of a tense, snipery experience than I remembered it 
because when I played it, we were just playing paintball and everyone was just running around like <laughs> shooting and it didn't matter whether there were any guns firing because they were obviously just filled with fruit juice or something. <laughs> and so one of the things that I think is, is important about this rules as written versus house rules uh, discussion, and it's something that I encounter quite often, is when someone first encounters the game and finds a piece of the rules as written and goes, blah, I don't like this at all. I don't know what it is or why it's here, but I'm, I'm going to take against it and change it immediately. For example, some people will often do this with um, Gasland says you can shoot once per uh, once per gear phase if you activate. And people look at that and go, well, that's bonkers. That's clearly rubbish. I'm just going to immediately house rule that so you can only shoot once per round, regardless of how many times you execute, uh, activate. And that is fine and people are completely fine to do that but in the same way that i essentially spoilt or completely changed my experience of necromunda when i first played it i think you run the risk when you house rule a game that you don't yet understand that you you break the designer's intention of what the game is supposed to be on the table and you'll never know and you might then go and and as a rules designer what's what's troublesome is that you might have a bad experience with the game because i know if you take that cog out the, the hands spin the wrong way and you go this game is rubbish the hands spin the wrong way and you're like well you didn't play the game that i'd given you you played a, mm. a frankenstein version that you deliberately broke one of the pieces off of so there's a real yep. tension as a games designer because obviously your table your rules and i put that in pretty much all of my uh my my manuscripts that it is important that it's your table and your rules but i also in a billion suns put in the bit where it describes that you play across multiple tables i literally say this might seem a bit weird, but don't house rule it out until you've played it because it's mm. really cool. Um, but people will look at it and go, well, I don't have two tables. I'm just going to house rule that and throw that part of the game away. And they will lose a whole chunk of joy by doing that. And it's not mm. what I intend for the game to behave like. So I think there's a real there's a real tension there. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it's an interesting thing where there's a line between when you house rule a decision that's been made because of a, an edge case and when you house rule because you want an extra bit of creativity or an extra bit of something uh, in, in your game. I mean, like a, a, an example uh, where, you know, a lot of people ha have been sort of fiddling with the house rules on Gaslands, I found, around the ramps in Gaslands. Mm. And that's where people want more madness on the ramps and want ramps that can give them a corkscrew or, or, or a loop-the-loop, -loop, or they want to be able to go sideways off the ramp and and, and, that, and that's that's absolutely wonderful and perfect and i think mm. that where a house rule is additive or mm. it's saying i understand how this works and i just want it to be more explodey or more corkscrewy i think that's fantastic mm. um yeah and, and the other thing is that this is maybe slightly going off into what is a good house rule but maybe that's the point mm. a good house rule for me is something that affects all the players so house ruling a ramp or a piece of terrain mm. to be more exciting and more explodey is great because now you at the beginning of the game you all know that that's a thing and then you can go and interact with that thing or not interact with that thing versus say a house rule where i say the team that i play slime now has 25 cans more stuff than you mm. that's my house rule slime's better like that's a ludicrous example but there are plenty of examples of people's house rules where that is essentially what they're doing is just biasing throwing the game uh, one way or t'other yeah, and I, again, I, I think the ramps are a great example because there are people house running ramps to just make ramps more sort of chaotic and, and fun. Because, I mean, you know, I love ramps. They're, they're a quite short entry in, in Gaslands Refueled, which, you know, which works great, but it is kind of, it, it's almost like a little 
look, look, ooh, you could do that. And if you then choose to build yourself a corkscrew ramp and write rules for it, you're going to have a cracking, a cracking time. And this is almost, almost us saying, okay, look, there's a little, uh, a little road to follow down there. We're mm. not going to, we could, we could write five pages of, of ramp rules and, you know, there'd be a certain people who would love that. Yeah, that's, I mean, but, that's the thing is that the presence of, the presence of ramp rules is itself an, anonym, an anomaly. Like, the game doesn't need the ramp rules. They're mm. cool and they've been asked for, but the game doesn't really need them. But once they're there, they're sort of there's a door ajar that you can shove mm. on, um, which I think you're right. Like that's almost a rules as written, which is pushing the door open to say, hey, you know what's fine is inventing more chaos like this. Whereas what's also interesting about the house uh, about the ramps is that ramps plus harpoons does equal edge cases. <laughs> um, <laughs> And the, and this is and this is and this is one of those things where it's like okay, this is an edge case, and I and it's it's insanely hard to know this until you're very familiar with the game. Is that there's a difference between a thing that happens because it's an edge case because this is an incredibly rare interaction, and the thing that comes out of the end of it, you know, is going to happen one time in a million, and honestly, it's just going to break everybody's brains if we correct the whole game in order to fix that thing. Yeah. Versus this is an edge case which we totally in we intended for it to be this way and it really needs to be this way. And fiddling with this is gonna is gonna crack things. It's I, I suppose it's where you choose to lay in your house rule and understanding yeah, and what are is, anchor rules and what are peripheral ones. One of one of the things that, that this is a slight personal frustration. One of the things that comes out in in one of these edge case discussions when you're trying to figure out how the game goes is that People will ask me, and, and Glenn will ask me, well, what do you intend to happen? What's the intention of the game when someone gets harpooned and drawn into the ramp? And of course, the answer with one of these excruciatingly edgy edge cases is, I've no idea. It never even occurred to me that this was an interaction that was going to occur. The most important thing for me is that this resolve itself in a way that doesn't damage the superstructure of the rules. Mm. And if that means that it sort of clips through the terrain and it does something slightly weird, like I'm fine with that because the 99% of the game has been preserved in its simplicity. Mm. Um, and this weird interaction that is a weird interaction is just a bug in the game. And I, I, like you can't get rid of all the bugs, so you just have to live with some of them. Mm. Yeah, and, and there's a huge difference between a weird thing that happens occasionally and a place where the game breaks. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and there have been point. You know, that the, the, there were points early on in the design where 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 Gaslands had bits where it did it did break, and we fixed those. And I'm pretty confident there aren't any at this point. There are we, still points. Just, let's let's just catch on that because sometimes house rules exist because people think that the game has been broken or something okay. breaks the game. Do you want to just describe what what we mean by broken in this case? Okay, I mean, so uh, to my mind, there's there are two sorts of broken. I would I would argue in game design, there is what I would call the literal sort of broken, where you the rules say do x, then do y. You do x, and x says if a then b, and a and not b, and then you just go and and the the, the clock. The yeah, that, that's what I, that's what I that's what I call blue screening. So that's when they yeah. get on blue screens where yeah. you follow the logical instructions of the game, and you you reach a point where you cannot follow the logical instructions of the game because they are contradictory. Yeah. 
yeah, you have a, you have a literal game rule paradox, or or a or a dot dot dot, or you you come to a point where you go, okay, I followed that step, I followed that step, I followed that step, and then what do I do? Uh, and I don't have an answer for that. And those those are the situations where I think a game literally breaks. And I think uh, and that, at, the, at the table, I think those are quite stressful and upsetting in a very minor. Yeah first world problems kind of a way like that is a situation that you are in good faith trying to play a, a game that you are up until that point enjoying and then the road just runs out and you're like ah blue screen restart hmm. yes the i think the more common version of broken that gets used a lot is is synonymous to overpowered and there are occasional instances where something is literally brokenly overpowered like uh, a, a, a great example in gaslands is that there's a return fire uh, perk in one of the military uh, systems where if you get shot you then can fire your gun very early version that wasn't limited to once per phase so it meant you activated one of your dudes he fired and then one of the crew members fired a pistol at your guy with return fire who got a turn of shooting and fired his pistol at the other guy with return fire and then you got infinity shooting mm. and that that's a literally broken piece of overpower that, that, that maybe wanders back into the blue screen area um because essentially you end up with an infinite an infinite loop which is a kind of bug i think yeah I mean, so, so so the the that meaning of i because I, I think there's a third meaning of broken actually so that the meaning of broken that you refer to is something is so horribly powerful that it reduces the obvious choices because the obvious choice is this thing that's just ridiculously outside of the power curve and that mm. then is a broken choice because essentially because the decision making is broken yeah and I suppose an another way of, of saying that, which maybe isn't a third description of it, but or third meaning for broken, but another way that the game can be broken is, is maybe better described as solved. Hmm. So if you provide a set of options and having played the game a couple of times, a particular strategy becomes obviously the best. And this can happen in board games as well. Like that board game or that skirmish game is broken because there's no longer a set of decision-making that's worth having. It is solved. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, and it's, I worry yeah, a lot solved. about games being solved because particularly when you're selling just a, a rule book and that's all you've got, like this thing needs to have longevity and longevity comes from the game not being solved, the meta not Yeah, being sure. Solved. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, tic-tac-toe is solved. I don't, I don't think I'd say it was broke because it works just fine. It's just not great yeah but people don't enjoy playing it and choose to play it with their friends. no no i i i i i agree i would say, I would I, say I in, that, in that regard it's you know there's a very there's a moment in every tic-tac-toe game that, that that it becomes solved and it just happens after about three moves yeah totally yeah and so sort of lo looping back i suppose is yeah there were there were points and there are points in every game where it where the game is literally broken I'm I'm fairly firmly of the opinion that most, if not all, commercially available games are not literally fairly definable as broken. There are some incredibly rare exceptions, but nothing like as often as you might hear that term yeah. employed to describe them. And I think I think it's much more often that the term broken is used to employ is used to say I don't like this, or, or you know, or, this this is just a, a sort of you know i'm unhappy about it yeah, well, yeah um, i didn't i didn't enjoy this experience because i was expecting something other to happen than mm. what in fact happened the point is that if you want to house rule uh, one of the sort of endpoint rules that where there's a thing that spits out and you're not totally jolly about how it spat out and you just want to tack on to it 
a rule that says if this happens do this instead that's probably that's probably fine because you probably found an edge case that you know that that was important to leave in if you're if you look at the core rules and you just go i don't think that that works the way it should work then i would implore you to to trust us we probably looked at it and we probably tried half of the versions. game design community we probably we probably play tested it i mean i it's one of the things i i, I would say is that if you if you're enjoying a game you should be trusting that designer they've put something together that you like i would i would suggest giving them a few cracks to the whip before you decide that something needs tweaking and, and house ruling yeah, and that's because rules, miniature, particularly miniature game rule systems, are quite fragile beasts that take a lot of tinkering to get the sort of to get the sort of crazy machinery to function. And when you mm. pull a cog out, you won't necessarily understand why that cog was put in. And very few cogs are just left in. Well, particularly in the way that I design games, very few cogs are left in that are serving no purpose because mm. I very, very, very much wants to remove all of the rules because I hate re reading rule books. So I don't want people mm. to read a longer rule book than needs to be. That's particular, a particular, just sort of wander off in a different direction, particular piece of advice I like to give is if you are thinking of house ruling a game, focus on the sort of play mode, like the scenario or the mission, mm, um, absolutely. rather than the actual core engine. Because I suppose coming back into games design seven or eight years ago like a lot of my time was spent creating alternative play modes for game systems mm. that i was already enjoying and yeah that i think is a wonderful place where you can you can design around the edges of a system and you can watch it wobble off in a direction and see where it falls over um, mm. without necessarily yeah something valuable out of the heart of it absolutely i mean if i you know if i ever have any sort of sort of starting advice for designing this sort of game is take a system that you enjoy and that you're familiar with then write an additional weapon scenario vehicle whatever wherever it happens to be that one of your friends wants to play and that you're okay playing with them mm. and that that if if you can do that that's because it's very easy to write a write a, a, a force or a, or a unit that you're happy to use and none of your friends are happy to play against you yeah. it's very easy to write something that you're happy to play against and nobody wants to touch with a barge pole if you can write something that fits into your friend's you you know list or army or whatever it is such that he really wants it and that you're happy to face it on the battlefield that will i think that teaches you a lot about writing those parts of a game and and will let you see a lot about how maybe some of the mechanics of that of that game probably work and quicker i suppose yeah this is something i i you know you probably know a lot more about about me in this respect is when you decide to leave an edge case in as opposed to when you dis because i know that you consciously we we've consciously come to points in games and we've gone yes there is there is an edge case there where something weird happens and i know that you've not you've been aware of them and you've made the executive decision to go you know what making everybody else learn the rule that will fix this edge case is too much a punishment for everybody else to be a reward for the person who's up in the education. Yeah, situation. it's it's a really tricky it's a really tricky call because quite often you've got something and this tends to happen with exciting exotic weaponry. You know, something that something where you want to place 
a little bit of additional rules that say, hey, when you fire this like catapult that fires chickens, like there's a squawking noise and that triggers some kind of game effect because the theme is fun. And when you've got something like that, which people are not going to take that often, what you want is for it to, to be like one line that says, mm -hmm. gun that fires chickens, people get distracted, it's amazing. And if you then have to put a huge sort of eight line paragraph of legalese underneath, which says, of course, in the instance where the chicken hits a brick wall first, then it dies before it makes it squawk and you don't have the thing. But if it's like passes over another vehicle, then that vehicle also hears the chicken squawk. And therefore that, you know, both the target and the intervening vehicle suffer the effects of the chicken. And like, ultimately that just sucks fun out of the initial experience of reading that rule. And that's, I think, one of the reasons that FAQ documents, are, I like FAQ documents. And I, I had this really interesting experience when uh, Gaston's Refueled came out, because Gaston's Refueled came out, and on the same day, I published the first FAQ document. And somebody left this really snotty message that was like, oh, really? Like, they spent all that time rewriting the game for Gaston's Refueled, and it still had to have a, a, an FAQ on the day of release. And that kind of hurt, because the point is, the FAQ is for you, the person who cares about the chicken squawking edge case. It's not for the person who wants to open the game on Christmas morning and go, great, a car racing game. I really want to play that. Like the, 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 the user experience, the player experience of reading the rules should be one of inspiring you to play a joyful game of miniature combat. Mm. Where you bury the legalese edge case capture is a really fine decision and it's based entirely on how you want the player to experience the game both first and then later down the line when you've built their trust and their engagement and and so placing rules exceptions and lawyering quite early in the core rules is dangerous because for me that's a place where you need to really be rushing them through to the table to get the experience Placing rules exceptions and extensions in deeper, more advanced rules like the faction rules and like the special weapons rules, like that's okay because you have to dig down, you have to understand the game to be able to dig down to that point and you're going to be more tolerant of exceptions and, and waving tentacles of rules. But I still think that there's a perfectly legitimate place to take all that and just say, put it in an FAQ document, which is for those people who care enough to bother to find this edge case and then be cross about the fact that it isn't resolved and then go and look for an FAQ and find, oh, they have actually resolved this. That's rather nice. Mm. I think I'm, I'm one of the things that I re read and reread and reread in attempting to reach the Billion Sons manuscript was I read, I read and reread the rule book for the starter box, the original starter box for uh, X-Wing. Oh. A magnificently mm. piece of writing. There was almost no words in that initial rule book, and the problem is that the problem is that when you're a game nut like us, you try and put X-wing on the table, and you go, "But what happens? What is all this? And where does this go?" And and actually, it's really intriguing because I looked at that for a long time, trying to figure out whether that was the way to do things, which is actually to say, "This is how the game roughly works." All of this stuff about edge cases, I, we, we'll just figure that out together and we'll maybe put that in an FAQ or an extension thing. And there's a really difficult balance to strike between joyful first experience and you know, having a frustrating edge case experience. So that's why it's an imperfect science. Mm. Yeah, and I yeah, and I think there is there there are a finite number of pages that can be put into any given book, and a finite number of of words, and I think also, it's also a finite tolerance, a finite tolerance hmm. of the reader. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, I totally Much agree with that. 
yeah no i i yeah i agree i think that is the first you know that is that is the first point to it but there are you know there are a range of limits there mm. and i think i think one of the things is sometimes when you're as intimate with a game as as we were with gaslands the first time a set of rules come up <laughs> the first time a given rule comes up like 20 or 30 seconds later i go oh just a minute when this combines with that and that combines with that and that combines with that that results in this weird situation it doesn't break the game but it's weird but it and then flips a car infinitely into the sky like yeah in, but and then like two, by a giant in skyrim and then yeah and then you and then you put it out and then like two years later of the however many thousand people playing it somebody finds that edge case and you go yeah it's weird we were aware that it's weird it's not going to break the game and you go yeah it probably wasn't worth the extra paragraph despite the fact it was glaringly obvious uh, you know at the time these things don't always get found by people even when there's a lot of a lot of monkeys and a lot of typewriters yeah and so i think i think that's that's the crucial thing is that the the player experience the the majority player experience has to trump the mm. the minority deeper uh, edge case player yeah. because because by doing that you hit more players and therefore you create more of these deeper engaged players and and the the thing that you're the thing that i'm trying to do is is to is to get them trusting me to the point where having reached that deep level of the game where they have discovered the secret chamber of edge cases that they are you know they, they're comfortable enough with the game they trust that these edge cases are not through um negligence and they, mm. they just you know they, they come and they figure out they, they come to board game each to, to ask about how to figure them out or they um and they are happy if the answer is there isn't a clean answer here because we'd have to have rewritten final position to make it even yeah. more horrible than it is yes yeah i mean i think the so far you know and, and, and knock on wood there's a low enough number of those situations that we are personally case by case able to go in and go it's fine. It is an edge case. You have our blessing to break the rules on that. <laughs> yeah. I will. I will personally come and lay hands. Well, I mean, at the moment, not literally, but I will personally on a forum lay hands on each of those edge cases to go. Yeah, we 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 know it's okay. Don't worry. Yeah. Feel free to tweak it there. Hmm. Great. Well, I think that's probably all to say about rules of written versus house rules. Uh, yep, certainly for now. So that's been fantastic. Whether you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening to it as a podcast, there should be a, a comment section nearby. We'd love to hear from you if you've got any questions on house rules, on edge cases, on catch-all rules that we were talking about earlier. No questions about drop weapons, please. <clears throat> Definitely no weapons about drop weapons. You know, questions about drop weapons. They are they're a class unto themselves. Leave a comment wherever you see this. Uh, reach out to us. I'm on Instagram as Mannequin Games. I'm on Twitter as Mannequin Games number one mike is on twitter as crikey miles we have websites that will be listed wherever this is being posted we'd love to hear from you and yeah until next time uh, when we figure out something else to, to to ramble on about thank you very much and uh we'll see you later bye bye, bye. bye.